Welcome to a University of Bath IPR policy podcast. Well, welcome everyone. Um, my name is Dr. Charles Larkin. I'm the Director of Research at the Institute for Policy Research. And we are holding this special seminar on what MPs think about AI uh, in conjunction with the Department of Computer Science at the University of Bath. Uh, the Department of Computer Science at the University of Bath has an AI and machine learning research group, which is exploring the relationship between natural and artificial intelligence. Uh, ourselves at the Institute for Policy Research have a very successful policy fellowship program in artificial intelligence, uh, which has run for several years. And for those of you that are interested in knowing more about that, please contact Andy Dunn at the University of Bath's IPR. So with us today, we have James Boyd Wallace. James is the co-founder of the Appraise Network for AI Policy and Communications Professionals. He set up the nonprofit network in February of 2023 in response to growing policymaker and media interest in artificial intelligence. James is also the manager director of a boutique public affairs uh, and, uh, and, and reputation management consultancy known as Highbury Communications. And he's the vice chair of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations and Public Affairs group. He has worked in communications, public affairs, and policy circles for nearly 20 years. And today he will be giving us a presentation on the first round of the Appraise Network's research on AI, on what MPs think about AI. And please come ready with questions because there's a questions and answers session at the end, which will inform the second round of their research. So without further ado, I hand you over to James. Thank you very much, Charles, for that introduction, and um, and very nice to be here this afternoon. Um, and as Charles mentioned, um, any questions, please do feel free to fire them over, um, and um, you know you can ask them as we go through or or at the end. I'm I'm sort of easy either way. Um, I will just share my screen so we can get the presentation up. Um, hopefully, that's now working for everyone. Um, yeah. it's it's great. All cool. So we'll we'll crack on um, with the research then. So just um, very quickly before we do that, um, Charles, I think you sort of mentioned a bit about appraise, but I'll just um, recap very quickly. So uh, we're a network we launched yeah, spring last year um, for AI policy and comms professionals. Um, uh, I co-founded it with someone else called Aidan Muller. Um, our sort of backgrounds are a little bit different, um, but complementary. So my my sort of experience is mainly focused on corporate communications and public affairs, uh, mainly working for technology businesses and and primarily enterprise technology businesses. Um, so sort of throughout the last um, decade and 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 a bit more, um, I've sort of seen the sort of development of an interest in um, AI through that prism, and I've seen sort of how it's become more important for those businesses. Um, you know. If you'd asked some of them 10 years ago what they were doing around AI, they may have said they use a bit of machine learning for a particular product or feature within their portfolio. Now those businesses are AI-driven, AI-powered, you know, whatever terminology we, that, that they might want to use. Um, Aiden's experience is a little bit different. So he's he comes at it more from a sort of social media uh, and digital public affairs background. Um, he's worked um, predominantly um, um, with sort of think tanks, policy institutes, 
uh, and the sort of policy environment. So he's very concerned uh, about the sort of broader information environment in which we find ourselves and how AI can impact um, both information and disinformation and sort of start to erode and continue the erosion of, of that trust that we see in expertise and, and experts. So we have a slightly different viewpoint and slightly different experience. Uh, where we come together is um, largely in response to, to what we sort of saw, um, you know, following the launch of, of ChatGPT and and the, the sort of media hype um, and, and, and policymaker hype as well around AI um, and, um, and its implications. And you saw effectively on one side, there was huge amounts of promise and, 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 and hype, as I've mentioned. On the side, there was a lot of sort of doom saying and, and doom mongering. Um, and what seemed to be missing is that bit in the middle, which was actually, what does the evidence say? You know, what does it show us? What you know, Where are we at the moment in terms of some of these issues and debates? And therefore, what should the, the public and policymaker response be? So we formed a praise to try and bring people together across that community. We don't represent anyone in particular. Um, we don't take funding from anyone in particular. Um, so we're self-funded at the moment. That's quite important for us because we don't want to be seen as lobbying for big tech or for startups or for institutes or for third sector. We want to try and represent everyone. Um, so that's just a, a bit, of, bit of context before we get into it. Um, so moving on then to um, the, uh, uh, sorry, the, actually it's just a little bit about some of our members. So you can see some of the some of the members that we um, have individuals from. So anyone from the Alan Turing Institute, which I'm sure everyone will know, right through to AI startups like Holistic AI. Um, so coming on to the research, then um, just a bit of context about the research um, itself. Um, so we researched 108 MPs um, through uh, online interviews. It was conducted by YouGov, so a, um, a responsible research agency. Um, it's representative of the makeup of the current parliament. So a majority of responses come from Conservative MPs, slightly fewer from Labour MPs, and then quite a lot less from, 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 from the other um, parties, um, which is why, as you'll see as we go through this, we only really uh, break down responses um, according to the two main parties. Um, and the field work, this was carried out between the 3rd and 31st of May. Um, that's important for a couple of reasons. One, um, you'll probably all remember, but in the middle of that, that period, um, we had Sam Altman um, presenting to the US Congress about his views and opinions on AI and its regulation. That's likely to have impacted what um, MPs and others were thinking and feeling about AI at the time. Uh, and the other important consideration for us is that obviously it's just a snapshot at the time. We we appreciate that things would have changed um, since this time, um, especially given there's been a, a bit more focus on it from a policymaker point of view since the AI white paper um, last March. Um, the other thing to say about the survey, just in terms of caveats, is that um, obviously an online survey with small numbers, it, it has its drawbacks as research. Um, it's therefore not intended to inform any academic research in that sense, but merely to provide a snapshot for discussions with people in the community. So in terms of the research itself, we um, felt there were sort of three main um, key insights that we took from it. So the first was that MPs um, don't feel regulators are appropriately equipped to regulate AI. 
Um, we'll come on to the importance of that in a minute. Two, concerns around AI vary quite significantly um, and that many MPs are undecided. And again, we feel that undecided point is important, which we'll come on to um, a bit later. And at number three, MPs would prefer, on the whole, a slower rollout um, of AI. And again, that third one's probably quite important to remember that context we just talked about. This is, you know, in May, it's when loads and loads of hype and, and demongering around this technology was happening. Um, I expect things have changed now, um, but we will be looking to conduct a follow-up piece of research in another couple of months. And as Charles mentioned, if anyone's got any views on that and what should be included, we'd really love to hear it as part of today's um, session. So just before we get into the first insight, just a quick bit of context, um, which we feel is important and which probably many people on this call um, will be familiar with or aware of. Um, AI, from a policymaker point of view, it's not new. Um, back in 2018, we had the industrial strategy and the AI sector deal. Um, much of the um, sentiment um, from that was carried through into the AI white paper. We saw similarities around how they talked about the principles that AI should follow. Um, you know, it, it, it isn't that AI white paper in, in March wasn't the first time the government looked at this. There's also been other, other um, uh, uh, reports and investigations by the Commons, by the Lords, um, by different committees, by the APBG for AI as well. So again, this is an issue that MPs have considered before. It's, a, it's an issue that policymakers do know about. It hasn't just appeared on their agenda in the last few months, despite what the, the impression we might get from, from the media narrative that surrounds it. Um, obviously, since March, there's been a few updates as well. So the AI Safety Summit in November. Um, and then the, at, the, at the moment, the government is obviously considering the, the consultation responses to the AI white paper that it launched in March last year, which we expect anytime, um, anytime now. So we do expect to see some evolution of the government's response, um, but probably not too much evolution. Um, the AI minister has already said that it's not going to bring, this government isn't going to bring any legislation forward. So just looking at that first insight then, uh, MPs do not feel the UK is sufficiently equipped to regulate AI. Um, so we found um, in the research that just 6% of MPs um, believe existing regulators have the skills or expertise to regulate AI. Um, so an overwhelming 69% uh, um, said they didn't. Uh, and quite a big proportion, 25% um, said neither or don't know. Um, that's obviously relatively important um, uh, for the current government because it's white paper put an emphasis on existing regulators to regulate AI within their sectors. And indeed, some of those regulators, Ofcom, the IC, um, has already looked at AI. It's already considering the, the, the impact of AI in its sector. It's those, those regulators are, are, are quite well uh, advanced. They do have resources, they do have expertise. However, there are other regulators um, which haven't thought about this at all. So the Health and Safety Executive, for instance, um, there's not much in terms of you know, thought so far from them. And also we know that regulators are under a resource um, constraints. Um, some of them don't have the funding to do what they need to do already under their current remit. So if we layer AI on top, what's that going to do? Um, so there's clear concerns amongst MPs on that. Um, interestingly, that was shared 
pretty equally amongst Conservatives and Labour. So 6% Labour, 7% Conservatives. Um, it's, again, for us, a little bit surprising in a way, given that the government's white paper, Conservative government, um, you know, put forward this proposal and yet only 7% of their own MPs agree that that's effectively, at the moment, the right approach. Um, that does sort of, to us, slightly raise the question of, you know, how is this government trying to bring its own MPs along? How is it trying to um, ensure that it has its support um, in the House for, for its measures? Um, and there's a, a bit of a question around around that. Um, in terms of um, in terms of the neither or don't knows, 34% Conservative don't know compared to 18% Labour. Probably not a huge margin given the small numbers that that we're able to um able to interview, so 108. Um, but nevertheless, a, a little bit of interest there, we think, um, around um around that larger don't know number. So overall, um MPs tend to be a bit more optimistic about uh, AI than pessimistic, but it's not a landslide. Um, so 44% agree. Um, they're more optimistic than pessimistic compared to 27% disagree. Um, however, and as we mentioned on the previous slide, and as you'll see as we go through this research, there is quite a big number of people, a uh, number of MPs who say neither or don't know. Um, this you know, for us, I think, is is one of the sort of um, consistent insights of, of our research and actually of the presentations that we've done of our research. Um, in the, you know, despite the fact that AI has been around for a while, the policymaker response isn't new. We saw, you know, that a couple of slides ago, 2018, there was that sector white paper. Um, it's interesting that still a number of MPs don't really know um, what they think about these issues yet. Um, when we're feeding this back to one of the large AI institutes, um, uh, the, the response from some of the public policy team was that that was surprising given they've done probably more than 100 briefings with different MPs on these issues over the years. So our MPs listening to those briefings was uh, was one of the concerns raised. Um, in terms of uh, optimism and pessimism, um, we can see that Tory MPs are, are slightly more um, uh, optimistic than Labour MPs. Um, we've got a bit of an understanding for why this is in a couple of slides, so we'll we'll, we'll sort of dig into that more there. Um, but I guess our our sort of initial instinct was probably that this breaks down according to um, uh, those sort of party lines, where Labour MPs may be more concerned about um, jobs and the impact on workers, given the closer links to unions and um, and the background of the Labour Party. Uh, and again, Conservatives may be seeing more of the benefits in terms of the uh, potential productivity gains that AI could um, could produce for the economy and for businesses more widely. That's a little bit superficial, but it does seem to be backed up to some extent by um, some of the questions that we've got later on as well, which we can um, we can dig into. Um, and then in terms of MPs understanding of the implications of AI, um, only 23% said they 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 understand the implications. 43% said they um didn't. And again, a big, a big sort of proportion of people there, 34% um said they didn't know um or said neither. Um so again, for us, you know, if you're 
an AI focused uh, think tank or research institute or developer or deployer, um, you know, that means there's probably a bit of work to do to um, increase understanding uh, of what you do amongst MPs in order to make sure that, you know, your voice is heard and that your arguments are, are seen in the way that you want them to be seen. Uh, and again, that was split fairly evenly across party lines. So 21% Conservatives compared to 27% Labour. Um, the neither don't know is fairly similar again and the disagrees fairly similar. So largely things tracking across um, across party lines. Um, and we also asked MPs whether they'd used uh, ChatGPT or another tool. Uh, only a third had, 51% uh, hadn't. Uh, and uh, 60% didn't know. Um, now for us, this probably is a bit of an understanding question because um, no doubt an MP probably would have used some AI enabled tool in some way, um, even if it's only Siri on their phone or, or Alexa or whatever it might be in their, in their home. Um, they probably just don't know it. They probably haven't realized. They're probably not aware that it's, it's using AI in some format. Um, and we think it also slightly um, is indicative of the media narrative at the time, which is very, very heavily focused on Gen AI um, and the advances that we've seen with that and not on the other types of, of AI, which we know um, have been embedded in you know, software and technology for, 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 for a lot longer. Um, so that's the, that's the sort of first insight. I'll just pause there very briefly. Um, if there are any questions on, um, any of that, um, I can see actually one in the um, in the chat already. Yes. There's one already in the chat, and it's looking at the the impact on knowledge workers, such as lawyers and executives uh, who are non-unionized. Should former AMPs looking for a job in the not too distant future actually be more concerned? Um, I'll leave that to you to answer. You have the <laughs> training. I, I think that's I think that's a great question. Um, I uh, I appreciate the sentiment. Um, I, to answer that, I'll give you a, a, a very slight um, uh, tangential anecdote. Um, so I was speaking to um, a, the CEO of a policy platform, uh, policy and sort of public engagement platform, a couple of weeks ago. Part of their platform is an offer for MPs um, to help them with their research, um, with their policy briefings, with their statements to the House, to others. Um, part of that tool is an AI-enabled um, platform. So MPs can go into it, they can they can answer um, or help use, use the this AI platform to help answer um, the questions they may have, the research answers they need to they need to get to. Um, and uh, I can't exactly remember the percentage that he gave me, but it's something ridiculous, like 70% of MPs um, have used their tool and have used the AI functions on their tool to help answer those questions. So I think, yes, I think MPs are very aware um, that uh, AI is coming for, for, for the knowledge workers' jobs. I think probably a lot of them are, um, are thinking about their next steps as a result. Um, but yeah, great question. Um, so, so second uh, insight then concerns around AI vary with many yet to make up their minds. Um, so uh, unemployment MPs tend towards more jobs being lost than created as a result of uh, as a result of AI. For so forty two percent 
compared to 25%. Um, again, a huge number, 33%, uh, neither or don't know. Um, you know, just before um, we we sort of kicked off the, the presentation, um, we were just discussing some of the latest research on this. You know, we've seen that the IMF said that, you know, 40% of jobs are going to be impacted by AI. There have been other studies to show that um, actually perhaps some of the impact um, won't be as quickly felt as what we might think um, from, from MIT um, because of the costs of implementing AI. That's obviously going to change as, as the costs go down. Um, and also the different types of workers that may be affected. So as, as the questioner as the questioner pointed out just there, you know, it's going to be primarily focused on probably knowledge workers, um, those white collar workers, professional workers where, you know, who haven't seen such disruption before. Um, so you can see where the concern comes from. I mean, I guess my my take on this, um, especially speaking to other uh, policymakers or sort of AI experts in this space is that I think the the overall feeling is that there's a difference at the moment between exposure and adoption. Um, we've seen quite a lot of exposure to AI, um, but actually how many businesses are truly adopting it at this point in time? Uh, I think that's a question that's still up for debate. Um, I know someone from McKinsey who I was speaking to recently who runs their research team said that I think it was 15% of firms have actually truly adopted AI at the moment. So still a relatively small number. So how many jobs are we going to see affected at this point? Probably not too many, um, but obviously it's starting to happen. We had some news reports probably a few months ago now, I think of BT um, uh, making some of their call center workers redundant and replacing them with AI chatbots and tools. Um, we're definitely going to see more of that, I think, as 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 we go through um, the years. Um, so in terms of the, the sort of job loss concerns, uh, to 24% um, of Labour, 24% uh, uh, of Conservative MPs are concerned compared to 64% uh, Labour. That's that's probably obvious why, as we mentioned earlier on, but also supports that 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 stat earlier on as well around um, the Conservatives perhaps being slightly more optimistic about AI and therefore looking at the potential productivity boost that we might see. Um, Labour being slightly less optimistic and therefore more worried about um, the impact on jobs. Um, probably largely related to, to what we what we talked about. And actually, we we delivered this research to someone who used to be in Labour's policy team, technology policy team. Um, his view on this was was similar to ours, and that, you know, at the moment there probably is a concern amongst amongst the Labour front bench and, and Labour team that, you know, there is a need to look after working people. Um, we can see that obviously with Labour's approach to many things at the moment, and they think that this approach um will follow through into into its technology policy as well um so in terms of the sort of benefits and costs of ai um many don't think it's going to be fairly distributed across society so 63 percent um compared to only nine percent um that's probably not surprising given uh, i think how we've seen ai develop um at the moment um where we can see that the large players, big tech, are dominating both the products that have been released and also the conversations with policymakers. So around this time, as mentioned, we had Sam Altman going around the world, meeting those world leaders, telling them about the need to, to create licenses for AI. Um, I think there's probably a bit of cynicism there amongst MPs that, you know, will this 
greater a dominance uh, in, or increase the dominance of, of those big players and therefore concentrate economic power even more. Um, I think we can see that in, in, in probably some of these results as well. Um, interestingly, Tories are, are twice as likely than Labour to be unsure on that question. Um, so they don't know. Um, or, but, you know, a lot of them don't know. Um, and then we asked a, a few questions about um, the trust in AI according to different use cases. Um, so we looked at four use cases. Um, so we looked at filtering spam um, or ill-intentioned emails, which we know obviously is, is, is employed. It, it uses AI at the moment. Moderation against harmful content, um, deciding on credit scores or insurance premiums, and uh, disinformation and proliferation of AI-generated content. So we can see that sort of as we go through those those four use cases, um, we we go from sort of MPs being relatively comfortable um, around spam, intentional emails, to being slightly more split, uh, moderation against harmful content, um, to a little bit more uncomfortable, deciding credit scores, insurance premiums, um, to being you know, fairly uncomfortable around disinformation and proliferation of AI uh, generated content, um, and. You know, we, we, we think broadly that this is probably for two reasons. The first is, you know, we go from sort of low stakes to, to high stakes. So we can see that, um, you know, around filtering spam, that's, you know, if you get more spam than what you'd, what you'd hoped, that's probably not going to be a massive issue. So it's relatively low stakes. Um, deciding someone's credit score and insurance premium, you can see the stakes there are a bit a bit high. You can see the impact on the on the individual um, through to disinformation and proliferation of AI generated content. Uh, again, slightly more high stakes. Um, however, there we think there's also a second reason um, and something we want to dig into a bit more with our with our next round of research um, is the impact on MPs themselves and the work that they do in the environment that they're in. Um, you know, filtering spam. You know, yeah, they can see that in their own boxes. Um, it's probably not for neither here nor there, really. Um, however, disinformation and the proliferation of AI-generated content, you can see how that might impact MPs themselves, um, both in terms of the uh, election, outcome election, um, but also the impact on them as, as 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 people. You know, will they have a situation where they've been recreated, um, where AI has been used to generate their voice um, to to lead to, um, you know, uh, stuff on social media, which is apparently them, but but not them. And I think there was a story yesterday or perhaps even this morning of Joe Biden and his, his voice being cloned by AI and telling Democrats not to go out and vote, um, you know, as a, as a recent example of, of, of that very real impact on politicians. And I think there was also another example um, a month or two ago um of a politician i think in hungary or the czech republic i can't remember which now um but again where ai had been used to to create a a, a, a fake um account um you know calling for um the country not to support um uh, ukraine and instead to put its put its support behind behind russia instead and you know we saw that you know there was um uh perhaps as a result, but perhaps as a result of other factors as well, um, a situation where the, the Russian, uh, the pro-Russian candidate was was favoured. Um, so I think we can see how how these things are starting to impact and starting to certainly into the debate 
and therefore why MPs um, might be concerned and and, and demonstrate um, this kind of um, these kind of concerns. But as mentioned at the outset, we'd really love to dig into to why, um, and that's something we hope to look at um, in the next round of research. Um, so just pause there very quickly. Any any sort of particular questions on? any of that so far um if not happy to uh jump into the third insight and leave q a i think we can keep going yeah yeah cool um so third insight then um mps would first roll out um maximizing the safety of citizens citizens and societies so um here i come on to the limitations of our research in in a minute and the limitations of this type of research in a minute because it's it's worth bearing in mind with these next couple of slides um but just just to sort of present the sort of findings before we get on to that um so half mps thought that ai was developing too fast so to 45 percent compared to 22 percent um who disagreed and a huge number again 33 percent which we see as mentioned reflected throughout this research um didn't know or said neither um broadly um uh, you know there were more conservative mps um who uh said ai was developing too fast compared to labor and uh, so 44% compared to 33% um this we found was was interesting given you know that 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 fewer conservatives um compared to labor mps were um concerned initially about ai were more optimistic um so if they're more optimistic and less concerned why are they arguing for a slowdown um that seemed to a bit to be slightly sort of contradictory to us um it may be that it just tends towards um that that more sort of more conservative nature perhaps um but again that's 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 a feeling rather than a rather than a point of evidence um and so this is something that we again we want to sort of dig into a bit more um but we felt you know given the point in time in which we conducted it an interesting snapshot of of where we are and you may remember that there was that letter from uh 300 or so ai experts including elon musk and um jeffrey hinton and, and a whole bunch of others saying that they argued for a, a six month um uh pause in the development of ai um lest it get out of control um, which obviously didn't happen but generated lots of attention at the time and was one of the reasons why we wanted to ask this question to see where mps were and um on a similar vein, we asked MPs um, uh, whether they prioritise safety over growth and innovation. And, um, you know, the vast majority came out and said, you know, safety was was more important. Um, yeah, as, as sort of indicated at the outset of this um, section, there is a slight um, caveat with these questions in that we, um, through the shortcomings of, of the research and the limitations around budget, we had to sort of crunch a few things together. Um, so we've created sort of an amalgam of a question there, which isn't ideal. Um, but for us, we felt it um, provided the snapshot that we wanted to provide, which is where are our MPs on this balance of of safety um, compared to innovation? Uh, and we chose this as the uh, as the contrast because it's something that we've seen um, politicians, especially Rishi Sunak, mention over and over again the need to sort of balance safety and innovation balance growth and um uh, and and safety and we felt that you know he was saying it so often and other mps within government were saying it so often but actually what did other mps think about this and broadly we can see that you know safety is a 
a top priority compared to compared to greater innovation. Um, and uh, in terms of um, how that breaks down according to party lines, um, say 68% of Labour prioritised safety compared to 53% of, um, of Conservatives. Um, so again, slightly contradictory for us, given that, you know, more Conservatives wanted a slower rollout compared to Labour. So therefore, why are, the, why are more of them saying safety is a, is a concern um, for Labour? That's, you know, again, that's, that's something that we think there's, there's, uh, merit and further research to to better understand um and and that's the final slide so um that sort of concludes the the, the sort of presentation element um and and our research to date um as as charles mentioned um at the outset we'd love to hear from others in terms of both what they think about the research what it tells us what it doesn't tell us um but more importantly what i guess people would like to see um, uh, in um, in the next round of research, because we really want to understand what people in in the sector in the field think um, and what they'd love to see um, in terms of um, further further evidence. So um, so yeah, Thanks great. Uh, thank you very much, James. And uh, we have 10, 15 minutes for questions now, and we've got two already uh, in the box, which uh, I think you'd find very interesting to address. And the first is, um, what's what's going to be the involvement of MPs um, over the next year in terms of, 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 of addressing AI policy and responding to it? And what will that split be between the political system and the civil service now that there's a white paper that's been produced? And as you said, the government didn't intend on proposing any legislation uh, in the lifetime of its current term. But uh, obviously, the civil servants will live on uh, between governments, and they they must have some ideas of their own about where this is going. So maybe address that first. Yeah, yeah, so it's a great question. Um, so I think that the, the the first point really to to raise there um, is that um, Vicat Camrose, who's the the minister looking after um, AI, responsible for AI within the government um, said in November, I think maybe, maybe maybe early December, that this government won't be bringing forward legislation to, um, to look at AI. So from the government's point of view, um, there won't be really um, significant involvement on, um, on the legislative front, which means that MPs um, probably won't get too involved in um, how uh, AI policy in this current government is is formed or formulated. Um, there are, uh, I guess, a couple of caveats to that. The first is a really obvious one in that at some point in um, at some point this year there's going to be an election. Um, so that will change everything. Um, well, it won't change everything. It will change quite a few things, but but it will likely change the government. Um, and we probably will see a Labour government if all the polls that we're seeing are right. Um, so that may change um, the involvement of MPs um, in 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 AI policy. Um, I guess the sort of the obvious follow up question there is around. So therefore, what are Labour going to do? Um, from what I've heard so far from people in the team and who used to be in the, in, in sort of Labour's team, I think it's too early to say um, what their policy response to AI might be. Um, however, I think, uh, and 
others within the space say to us that Labour's focus is probably going to be on other areas before it gets to this. So in short, what involvement are MPs going to have in this debate? Probably not a huge amount um, over the next year. Um, the the sort of second point there is there is going to be a response to the the, the government's white paper um, which which it, which it launched um, in I think it was the end of March last year. Um, so we saw some of those responses publicly um, over the summer. So the Ada Lovelace Institute, the um, the Alan Turing Institute, um, the CMA, and I think others. Uh, uh, publicly came out with their responses to the white paper. Some of it was quite critical. Some of it was 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 relatively supportive. Um, so in terms of um, you know, the balance between MPs and and um, between MPs and civil servants, we're probably going to see much more of a civil servant response um, to to those um, to that to that white paper and to the responses that they've had, and it will be navigated certainly within within those teams uh, and then i think the other point to, to mention is that you know since the white paper we've seen the government ha has announced a number of new bodies so the the frontier model task force has now changed into the ai safety institute um which was you know sort of officially launched at, at bletchley um we've seen other institutes and and government uh bodies and action launch as well in those last few months so in the main, there is more focus from DCIT and others within that environment, with others and civil servants within that environment than what they used to be. So if I was thinking about how to influence this debate, I think my focus for the time being would probably be on those civil servants working within those teams, because I imagine most of those people will probably carry over into the new government. Okay, um, very, very good. I, I, one of the questions which has come forward and, and it, it sort of dovetails with with the uh, with another one, which is, you know, these these issues are you know very much high level. They're at the policy level. You've spoken to obviously an elite group of people, you know. Uh, but what is the interaction between that and and the general population? And is there an element uh, where the concerns of MPs and the concerns of the public will begin to dovetail as deep fakes? um the role of of um of, of false information um and the eroding ability to to have trust in 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 the media uh advances uh and how will how will policymakers and the public respond to a situation in which it becomes more and more difficult for both sides of that equation to manage the message but also to separate uh fact from fiction yeah, that's 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 a great question. I think a, a huge issue. Um, I I, th I think I think we can see that there has been some dovetailing already around that issue around information disinformation and and um and misinformation, and I think we can see that with, for instance, the U.S. executive order on AI, which um, Kamala Harris launched just before the Bletchley. Um, AI safety summit and a large part of that um a large part of the executive order was focused on information disinformation and the need for um, developers and deployers to start to think about um very practical ways that they could they could challenge that and um incredibly correct um some of that disinformation and misinformation so so I, so I think 
I think, you know, short answer to the question is I think those issues are dovetailing already. I think we're already starting to see some action um, from the US government in particular. Uh, I think we can see that also with the, the EU AI Act and there is a very sort of very, so I don't know why that um, keeps happening on my computer, the thumbs down. I must be pressing something without realizing. Apologies. Um, <laughs> I'm thumbs downing my my own answer. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, we can also see some of those 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 conversations. I think within the EU Act as well, and the importance of of, of information disinformation. Um, you know, the, the other bit of context there, I think, which is important, is that you know we saw what two weeks ago, the World Economic Forum um, say that disinformation and misinformation was its um i think top risk in the next two years um uh and i think if if we're now seeing those sorts of things to to come to the fore i don't think it's going to take long for for these issues to to, to dovetail even more than they are already okay one thing which uh which comes comes up is is trying to understand uh what ai is and what ai is not uh, and I, I found uh, your responses um, possibly is the origin of some of the questions that are here, which is that a lot of MPs didn't realize that um, their their Amazon search list is actually AI driven um, and they just don't know it. And you mentioned credit scores. And of course, credit scores for a long time were automated, but they weren't artificial intelligence or machine learning informed. Yeah. But people were OK with that. But now that they attach AI to it, they're not so okay with that. Um, so to what extent uh, is there a way for the general population and also for politicians to sort of get a, a Janet and John understanding of, well, what is automation? What is machine learning? What is artificial intelligence? And how do they all interact and interplay with one another? And what's the the relative speed of their evolution? I mean, We've had automation for a long time. We've accepted it, mm -hmm. uh, but AI has sort of sped up what what we what we get used to uh, in in terms of changes in our society. So, how do we begin to unpack all of those issues, which we don't really realize are going around because it's sort of like a fish in water? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean that 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 kind of that broader issue of how do we sort of keep up to date with something that's changing so quickly is is one I think all of us struggle with um and um you know from a from a sort of very very practical point of view you know you can only sort of do what you can to you know read you know read read sort of the latest research or or or, or you know read sort of those sort of foundational books um that give you sort of the introduction to to the topic and i saw someone in the, the chat there has asked about mustafa Suleiman's book I've, I've i've not read it um but nevertheless i do think you know reading those sorts of things are are useful however i'd i'd caveat everything with you know these people are going to be approaching the subject and the, and 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 what they write from a certain perspective um that perspective isn't necessarily you know, the only perspective or indeed the one that that is most likely to happen it just happens to be theirs um so i think you know getting perspectives from lots of different areas i think is useful within this debate um, the other thing that I'd sort of add as a sort of piece of context is, you know, AI isn't new. It's, you know, it's been around for 70 years or so. Um, you know, there have been various forms of AI, you know, from expert systems through to neural networks um, and, and sort of everything else 
um, in between and outside of those, um, you know, throughout that sort of 70 year timeline, um, there have been several sort of AI winters, as they're, they're called, where essentially people have been hyping up the technology over promising and then under delivering. And therefore, AI has gone from being seen as, you know, the next big thing to not the next big thing. And that's happened, you know, at least sort of two or three times in the past um, before. So I think we should approach everything with caution um, and with those kind of references and, and, and frames in mind. And how much are we going to see the current hype live through into actually being realized or how much is it going to be again you know going into another AI winter my personal point of view is that I don't think this time around we're going to go into sort of full-scale AI winter because I think we seem to have got to a point got to a sort of tipping point where organizations where businesses are deploying AI on a scale that they haven't before um, I've seen that with the businesses that I work with um, as I mentioned at the outset, you know, they may have been using a bit of AI or machine learning or whatever it might be to answer a certain issue or provide a certain piece of analysis or, or, or whatever, whatever it is, to now, you know, fully overhauling their products. So it's it's AI powered and and and, and driven from from its heart to its to its external elements. So so that feels to me like a tipping point. Um, you know, but but also we can't forget that um, that there will be at this point in time loads of hype. Some of that will die down. I don't think we'll have the same conversation in a couple of years' time. I think it will it will change. Um, the other the other aspect of that is um, as anyone sort of worked with technology and probably quite a few people on this call will know. There's Gartner, which is a tech analyst, produces a, a hype cycle for different technologies. And this is when sort of at the start of the, the technology kind of people are getting interested. Then you get to the sort of peak of hype up here, which is probably where we are with sort of Gen AI and other products. And then it you get to go through a, a trough of disillusionment, they call it, where essentially it sort of doesn't live up to the hype and 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 you know, people don't deploy it, they they sort of row back from it. And then gradually it upticks to get to a sort of plateau. Um and I think we're 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 probably at that peak at the moment. So inevitably when we're gonna see some of this die away. Okay. I mean, one of the points which which I think is, is quite interesting to respect to your research is that um, there's an element of, of trying to figure out, well, what's the, um, what's the best division of labor uh, between the political system and the civil service? Um, and that essentially, you know, is there an orientation that the civil service has a certain fix, fixture on risk? on growth, uh, on speed, whereas um, the political system is is orientated towards uh, certain things which primary legislation is better designed for, which are sort of broad strokes and sort of guide rails for the system. And, you know, as a result of that, then where really can researchers sort of add to this conversation, realizing that MPs feel themselves to be in a position of being underinformed, incapable of deciding whether or not it's good or bad, uh, but generally feeling, uh, in, in a sense, ill at ease at the moment about their capacity to sort of deal with it. And I would imagine that their senior civil servants aren't a million miles away from that 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 set of sensations as well. 
Mm, yeah, I, I think I think that that question probably reflects you know what we're seeing um, in the civil side in in uh, civil service in in um, in the government and in in the House of Commons and Parliament more broadly. Um, I think I think the evidence that that sort of demonstrates that is you know over the last six nine months or so um, and and sort of crucially before the AI Safety Summit at, at Bletchley. Um, we saw quite a, a number of announcements from the government of how it was bringing AI expertise into um, the civil service, whether it be in the, the Frontier Model Task Force as it, as it was then, um, or in other elements of, of DSIT. Um, and so I think you, you, you've got a, a recognition there that there isn't the expertise or there hasn't been the expertise um, to date, and therefore there is a need to bring that expertise um into place and i think they are starting to do that however i think the last announcement from the frontier model task force its last sort of update i think they said they now have something like 150 years of experience or, or something similar which it sounds like a good number but when you actually think about how that sort of breaks down to to individuals you're, you're probably only talking about sort of 10 or 12 individuals, right? No, probably no more. So compared to the wealth of insights that, that you know, researchers in this space will be developing, will have already, will be able to develop through, through future work research, I think there is still a very clear need for researchers to be engaging with those um, civil service focused bodies. Um, and I think that's probably where I would put my attention at this point in time. Um, if if the sort of motivation is to inform the debate rather than influence necessarily the debate in a certain direction. Um, in terms of the split of work, um, so DDSIT has a central, um, I forget the name of the body, but it, it, it has a central AI risk um, team, um, which is there just to look at the risks of the technology. Um, and I think you know, we can see from that sort of point of view that um, if you are a researcher looking at risks, then I would engage with that team because that's probably where it's going to be the most valuable. Um, if you're looking at those sort of wider risks, the wider societal risks, it's probably important to inform MPs of what you're doing and, and how it might impact um, their constituents. Um, but are they going to be people that will be using your research be able to take that and actually you know change things to inform the debate to inform you know all these all, all, all the different announcements that may, may happen probably not at this point in time um so i guess i my my approach would be spe specific according to the type of risk that you're looking at and therefore the type of team within dc that's looking at those things okay very good um and i know that we we have um a, a question here which which sort of relates um to the question of of really the role of ai um in the education space and its ability to sort of transmit norms and and ethics um through its through its decision making uh processes and 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 you know generative ai has sort of highlighted some of those questions and and it will be you know this will be our wrap up question for the for the for the session but um, is there an element that uh, a large part of the conversation we've talked about with AI has related to commercial activities, to employment impacts? Um, I know when I speak to to lawyers, most especially those on the bench, 
that the question of the role of of AI in in decisions uh, such as 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 you know on the bench is something which which they're quite interested in but also afraid of and that you know will there be a a wider set of of things which we'll need to develop in order to say well there are certain aspects of 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 human behavior in education in law and justice that um we probably will leave the ai tools at the door uh because we don't necessarily if we're going to make a a bad decision we need the bad decision to be entirely human and not uh computer informed so so to what extent do you think these these issues will will arise as a question for for MPs because at the moment most of your queries related to that operational end of when MPs are talking but obviously if they get talking about constitutional matters uh mm -hmm. MPs can 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 sort of really weigh in quite heavily on on those things about well what constitutes ethical just behavior and norms yeah yeah i think i think that's a it's a really it's a really important point and and, and a great question um I, I think there are probably a few things um on that um i think the the first is that um if if there is if we still have a situation where we can't explain um what or how ai has reached the decision then i think um, there is probably quite a clear sort of ethical and and moral element which um or argument which says that you know we can't be using AI to 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 to, to make a decision on whatever it might be, especially where it affects someone in a in an important way. Um and the I think I'm right in saying that the EU AI Act has made that distinction in its um risk profiling of AI. And I think it has said um, I forget the, the exact terminology it uses, but it's it's where there is a material impact on someone. Um, we must there must be human oversight, and we must be able to explain what the answer is, and we must be able to have redress. Um, that that consumer person, whoever it might be, needs to have redress um, uh, to that to that decision. Um, so I think you can see that they are starting to think about those issues, um, and I think that probably will need to come to the fore a lot more if we see AI rolled out in education and justice or, or whatever. Um, personally, I, you know, I think there is a big concern there. Um, there was a case um, quite a few years ago now, but in the US, um, which had a, uh, which used an algorithm to decide bail sentences. Um, and I think it was ProPublica who did some investigations into this. I think the system was called Compass. Um, and it found that there was sort of bias and discrimination within the algorithm. And so it was um, essentially giving um, certain segments of society uh, harsher um, uh, bail requirements than others. Um, and obviously that's, you know, that's not, that's not what you want from, from your system, but it's because it's been, you know, based on the data that has so far. And so it's been there for, um, uh, it's therefore to, ended up in that place so you know we can see how instances of this sort of stuff have gone wrong um even if we look at you know the horizon scandal and you know that's not necessarily ai but you know the computer there was it, people said the computer couldn't be wrong and yet it clearly was wrong it led to a huge amount of you know grief and, and upset and 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 false convictions so there i think there is a very clear sort of moral and ethical need to understand what's going on what leads to a decision if we can explain that decision or not and if people have redress 
And I think that that redress point has, has probably got to be one of the most critical elements because if someone can't challenge a decision, a decision, a decision made by AI, then how do we ever know it's the right one? Yeah, no, uh, I think that's a very good point for us to, to conclude. Um, as always, these uh, webinars have been recorded, so you can go back and uh, watch the, the webinar again and find out more. Uh, we uh, Again, we have the um, Policy Fellowship Program in AI. Please uh, look into it in further detail, and uh, Andy Dunn in our office will be happy to hear from you. And it just falls to me to thank again uh, James Boyd Wallace for a, a very interesting and engaging presentation and uh, some thought-provoking uh, responses to the questions we've had here today. And please look at the IPR YouTube channel, our social media channels, and the University of Bath website to find out more about what we do at the IPR, uh, some of the research that we are engaged with, and also uh, the AI and machine learning research group in the Department of Computer Science. Uh, so with that, I wish you a good afternoon and thank you very much for joining us.